the book of Habakkuk this evening. The book of Habakkuk, Old Testament prophet, an Old Testament preacher that uh, shared the word of God with us. A very applicable message, as Pastor mentioned, uh, to our day and our, our day and age this, uh, that we're living in. And uh, most scholars believe that Habakkuk was written sometime in the latter part of the 7th century, around the year uh, 625. You look up on the chart, uh, you can kind of see the, uh, the time frame that Habakkuk is writing in. Uh, it's just a short time uh, before the Babylonian captivity. Uh, to get a little bit of, uh, better understanding of, of what's going on in the life of Habakkuk and what he's preaching about during this time, you have to understand a little bit about the history of Israel and what they're going through. Uh, Habakkuk is preaching uh, during the reign of King Josiah. King Josiah was one of the great-grandkids of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly king for a time uh, who went astray during the latter years of his life. His son Manasseh began to reign. He reigned for about 45 years and he was a wicked king. Uh, didn't serve God. Uh, then another, his, one of his kids became the king and they, they killed him. Uh, some people did and they took over and were uh, the, the people that killed the king. And they were reigning for a while until another group killed them. And they installed Josiah as the king. Josiah was about eight years old uh, when he became the king of Israel. Could you imagine that? Having an eight-year-old as the leader of a country. And that was Josiah. And he began to reign. And around the age of 15, the Bible says he began to seek the Lord with his heart. He was wanting to know God. He was wanting to learn more about God. When he, About five years later, when he was around 20 years old, uh, the Bible tells us that he went into the temple and he got the temple cleared out. And uh, he was getting all that cleared out. And while they were cleaning out the temple, they came across a Bible. And they, Josiah said, I want to know what is in that Bible. And so they went and they got the Bible and they brought it to Josiah and they read it before King Josiah. As Josiah was listening to this, he, it impacted his life and he, he heard what God was asking of the Israelites and he, he saw how it compared to the way they were living. And he says, this isn't right. We're not doing what God has asked us to do. And so he began to make some important changes. He made a covenant with God that they would begin to follow him again. He tore down the, the places of idol worship. He killed the pagan idolatrous priests. And he, and he celebrated the Passover for the first time in about 400 years in the life of Israel. He made amazing religious reforms. However, the re, these reforms did not change the people. The prophet Jeremiah preaching of the people during this time he said in chapter 3 the Lord also said unto me in the days of Josiah the king hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel has done Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart but faintly saith the Lord after the death of Josiah his son Jehoaz reigned in his stead and he did evil in the sight of the Lord his reign lasted only three months before he was captured by the Egyptians. And then his son, Jehoiakim, became king. And the Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. You see, Josiah came in. He made a lot of religious reforms, a lot of religious changes. But he could not change the heart of the people. It was evident by the time when he lost his reign, when he died and the other kings came in, the people just like that went back to the idolatrous worship, serving pagan gods. God did not have their heart. They had changed outward because of King Josiah, but they had not changed inwardly. It is during the time of Josiah 
and all the reforms that, he's rem- that he was making that Habakkuk is writing that he was preaching. He was writing during the time of a godly king, but to a nation that was still sinful. A nation that had every opportunity to do the right thing, but still had a sinful, ungodly heart. And Habakkuk sees the wickedness of the people, and it breaks his heart. He wants to know why. God, why are they like this? He wants to know why God isn't isn't doing something about it. God, why aren't you dealing with your people? And we understand this feeling, don't we? We look around us. We see what's going on in our world, in our country, in our society, in our city. We go, God, where are you? Why aren't you working? God, aren't you going to do something about what's going on? We see what's wrong. God, where are you? Do you not see what's happening here? And that was Habakkuk's heart. God, how long? Can you allow this wickedness to continue? And this is how the book of Habakkuk begins. It begins with Habakkuk asking God why. Unlike the other prophets who saw the wickedness of the people and and brought God's message to the people, Habakkuk saw the wickedness of the people and he went to God and asking God what was going on. Look with me in Habakkuk 1 verse 1. The Bible says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry unto thee of violence. And thou wilt, wilt thou not save. Why dost thou, thou show me iniquity. And cause me to behold grievance. For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Basically, Habakkuk is praying, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Can't you see the evil? God, can't you see how the people are living? God, don't you see what they're doing in our society today? God, these are supposed to be your people. King Josiah, he's he's instituting all these religious reforms, things we should be doing. And yet the people's hearts are not for you, God. God, why aren't you doing something? Where are you? Why aren't you working? The wicked have taken over. They're out of control, God. But after all the prayers, finally God answers Habakkuk. Look with me in verse number 5. God says, Behold, ye among the heathen regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? God says, I'm going to do something so amazing that if I told you, you're not going to believe it. It's an amazing thing. Well, what's he going to do? Look at verse number 6. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the people of Iraq today, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses are also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat." Verse 9, it says, They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand, and they shall scoff at the kings and the princes, shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this this his power unto his God. God basically tells them, I see what's going on. And I'm going to do something about it. Very soon, he said in verse number, 50, uh, verse number 5, In your days, I'm going to do something in, in your days about this uh, Habakkuk. I'm going to use the Babylonian Empire to judge Judah. You're not going to like it. You're probably not going to believe what I'm telling you. Because they're so evil. 
But that's what I'm going to do. Many of us have been praying for, our, for the evil in our society. God, why aren't you doing something? What are you going to do about it? But what if God's answer was to send China or Russia or one of these other countries to come into the United States and capture the people of the United States and bring destruction to our country? God, what are you doing? No, no, that's not what I meant. When I prayed about you doing something about God, I didn't mean that. That doesn't make sense to me, God. Why would you do it that way? Habakkuk is looking. He says, Israel, yeah, they're bad. They're not living for you, God. And it breaks my heart what they're doing. But the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, well, God, they're a lot worse than the Israelites. I don't understand why you would, why we, you would use those people to judge the people. And so Habakkuk responds to God in verse number 12. And he says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy, my, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Habakkuk says, is praying back to God. He says, all right. He says, God, I know who you are. You're the holy God. You're the everlasting God. You made oaths. You made covenants with your people. We know that you're not going to destroy the Israelites. And so, God, we know not, that judgment's not coming. And if we just ended the prayer there, it would look pretty good. But look at verse number 13. He says, Thou art of pure eyes to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he, and maketh men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them? God, you're a righteous God. No, you're, you're not going to judge the Israelites with the Chaldeans. You, you're, they're evil, they're wicked, they're worse than the Israelites. God, you can't do that. You're of pure eyes. You're not going to allow that judgment to come. You see, it seems like at the first, he was like, God, you're not going to allow Israel. I trust you, God, you're the everlasting God. I know you better than you know you, God. I know how you better answer these things. And God, it's uh, it, using the, the Chaldeans of judgment, that's not in your character. Because your people are the Israelites and the Chaldeans are worse. See, God told him, Habakkuk, you're not going to believe what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk didn't believe what God said he was going to do. See, as we, we continue and we think, why would God use a wicked nation so bad as the Babylonians to judge the Israelites? A, na a, a nation that is more wicked than the Israelites to judge them. See, Judah had its problems, but it was better than Babylonians, at least from Habakkuk's perspective. At, le at least it was from a man's perspective. But if you remember when you studied the book of Amos a little while ago, we saw that from God's perspective, Israel was worse than the rest of the nations. Why? Because she knew more. She had more light. She had more knowledge. The Babylonians, they didn't know all the truth. The Israelites did. And so God held them to a higher standard. Yes, maybe they weren't living as ungodly and wicked as the Babylonians. But they shouldn't be. Because they had the word of God. They had prophets that were sent to them to preach the gospel to them. And they had rejected it. And so God was going to use the Gentile nation that, from man's perspective, seemed worse. But they weren't necessarily worse in God's eyes. Because the Israelites had rejected God's truth. She had the law, and the Gentiles didn't. And that's still true here. But from Habakkuk's point of view, Israel is much better than them. The Chaldeans were, were, were ruthless. They were brutal. They were pagan. Israel, they had their faults. But they were much better than those guys. And so God's answer to Habakkuk's prayer left him baffled. He didn't understand what God was doing. Has that ever happened to you? When you pray 
And you say, God, this needs to happen. And God answers you. Well, I, no, no, not that way, God. I didn't, I didn't think you were going to answer it that way. And uh, it just doesn't make sense. You know, when, oftentimes when we pray, we have the way we think God should answer. And God doesn't always answer the way we think he, we should. God answers according to his ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And he answered Habakkuk. And Habakkuk said, I don't get that, God. That doesn't make sense to me. Because he was using a wicked nation. But as Habakkuk continues to pray and he seeks God, God says I'm gonna, he's going to give him clarity in the beginning of chapter number 2 and verse 1 and verses uh, 1 through 3. And God, Habakkuk uh, is, is looking to God and God is answering him. And he basically tells him, don't worry about the Babylonians, Habakkuk. They're going to be punished. They're going to be punished too. But punishment is coming to them. He might use a wicked nation. God might use a wicked nation like the Babylonians to punish the wickedness of Judah. But their, their wickedness isn't going to go unpunished. God's a just God. They're going to get it as well. Just like the Assyrians. Remember we looked at Nahum last week. And that Nahum was all about the judgment that had came on Assyria. God had used Assyria to judge the Israelites. But his cup of wrath had filled and was poured out upon the Assyrians. And that too would come upon the Babylonians. God said he's going to judge them as well. They would become proud or exalted their conquest. As it says in chapter 2 verse 4. It says, behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, the Babylonians were defeating and they become proud in their conquest. They wanted more power, more wealth. It says in verse 5, Yea, also because it transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. Neither keepeth at home who enlarges the desire as hell and as his death and, and cannot be, be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations and heapeth unto him all people. Babylon, no matter how much they conquered, they wanted more. They wanted more. They wanted more. That's still a characteristic of people today. No matter how much they have, they want more. No matter how much money someone has, they want just a little bit more. You know, as people say, only oh, if I had a million dollars, I'd be happy. No, they wouldn't. They'd want two million and three million. See, that's the heart of man. We always want more. And the Babylonians, no matter how much they conquered, no matter how much they destroyed of other nations, they wanted more. They were never satisfied with what they had. They conquered these nations with, with cruelty and bloodshed. In verses 6 uh, through 14, you could read there. They abused their captors to appease their ungodly desires. They trusted in their idols and false gods and gave them glory for their conquest. But God says it's not going to last. His cup of vengeance is going to fill. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also and let thy foreskin be covered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee. And Shapham spewing shall be on thy glory. God says, I will bring judgment. All their glory and jubilation will turn to shame. Because Jehovah alone is God. And he is over them. He is still on the throne. It says in verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God alone is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is over all. He is on his temple. All we can do is keep silence before him. We shouldn't be bragging about how great we are. The United States should not be bragging about what a wonderful country it is. God alone is king. He is alone that is Lord. We have nothing to brag about. We just need to keep our mouth silent before him. Because he alone receives glory. The only valid response to God's awesomeness is silence. And God reveals to Habakkuk that Babylon, like all other nations, will be judged. So what should Habakkuk's response be? Look back with me in verse number 4 of chapter 2. It says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright him, but the just shall live 
by his faith. What should our response be? Trust God. Trust God. The just shall live by his faith. We might not understand what God is doing. We might not understand why he's doing things he's doing. It might not even make sense to us. And even when things get really bad as a result of the cruelty of the Babylonians, even when there seems to be no hope, the righteous should live by faith. The righteous should continue trusting in God. That God is at work even in the darkest times. Even when he's answering ways in ways that we don't understand. The righteous should trust God even when they can't see his hand because they can trust his heart. Babylon will be punished. For, but for now, Babylon is a useful tool in God's hand to bring judgment to the nation of Judah who had forsaken God, whose heart was not right with God, despite all the religious reforms that Josiah was trying to make, the Israelites still were not turning back to God. And so God is bringing judgment upon this nation. And he's going to use a wicked and ungodly nation like the nation of Babylon, Iraq, to bring judgment upon these people. And he reminds Habakkuk, you need to trust me. You might not understand it, but the just shall live by his faith. In response to this vision, Habakkuk prays. And he says that, that what God has told him and revealed to him about the vision of Babylon has frightened him. Look in chapter 3. And see his prayer in verse number 2. It says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. In, cha in chapter 3, verse 16, in the, the first part, it says, When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself. Hearing about this vision, hearing about what God was going to do, how God was raising up the Babylonians, it scared him. He was afraid of what was coming. He trembled at the thought of what was coming to them, the destruction that was coming upon their people. He didn't want them to come. He didn't want the Babylonians to destroy his nation. He knew how cruel they were. He knew how wicked they were. And it scared him. The thought of this other nation came in. And he said he trembled. He was afraid what was coming. But now, instead of questioning God as he did before... He's going to respond by faith. And this faith is evidenced in three, three ways. First of all, he asked God for mercy. Look in verse number 2, once again, of chapter 3. It says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, God, remember mercy. He asked God to move once again amongst his people. To show his might and his hand in their midst. To show them mercy even when they don't deserve it. To show him mercy while he's pouring out his wrath for their sin. Habakkuk knows that the Israelites, that Judah deserved God's wrath. The whole, this whole thing started because Habakkuk was praying. God, don't you see what they're doing? Don't you see their sinfulness? Don't you see how wicked they are? He knows they're sinful people. He knows they deserve God's wrath. But in the midst of all that wrath, in the midst of all that judgment that he knows they deserve, he says, God, remember mercy. He's not one going, yes, that's what they deserve. You know, we should never be that type of people. We should never be celebrating when other people are hurt, when other people get what they deserve. We should be a merciful people. And Habakkuk is praying for these people. He says, God, in your wrath, 
in your judgment upon them. In the midst of the Babylonians coming in, God, I ask that you'll show them mercy. And instead of destroying them, God, and rejecting them completely, oh God, I ask that you reveal yourself to them again and revive them. Help them to come alive again. Change their hearts, God. Make them a spiritual people. I wonder if he thought about the nation of Assyria and the prophet Jonah that went in. When God had announced that judgment was coming, judgment was coming upon the nation of uh, Assyria, Nineveh, and Jonah went through and he preached, repent, and when they repented, God repented. He changed his mind and withheld his judgment. And I wonder if he thought about that, God's mercy, and how God can change his mind. And he turned his head, God, show mercy to them. Yes, they deserve judgment. But would they turn from you, God? Would they turn from their sin and turn back to you, God? And would you show them mercy? Habakkuk prays for mercy to them. He shows that he's trusting God by asking for mercy. The second thing Habakkuk does is remind himself of how God has worked in the past. In a very dramatic and illustrative way, Habakkuk speaks of of how God brought the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land. He led them through Taman and Paran, which are in the desert of Sinai. It says in verse 3, God came from Taman and a holy one from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. In verse number uh, 4, it says, And His brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of His hand and there was the hiding of His power. This is probably referring to when God came down on Mount Sinai and the Bible talks about there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain. The voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. So all the people that was in the camp trembled and Mount Sinai was all together on smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And God in Habakkuk has remembered how God was with them as they traveled through the land. God also used plagues and pestilence and to bring death to the enemies that stood in Israel's way, such as Egypt. It says in verse 5, before him went the pestilence and burning coals which went, went forth at his feet. His presence was so impressive that the mountains trembled. In verse 6, he stood and measured the earth and beheld and drove asunder the nations. And everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. Habakkuk saw the dwellings of Cushan and Midian tremble when Jehovah passed by. In verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Cushan was the first foreign invader to punish Israel during the days of the judges. The Midianites were also a formidable force that came in and brought oppression to the nation of Israel during the times of Judges. You see, Gideon or Habakkuk is thinking back. He's thinking back how at past times other nations had come into Israel. How they brought problems into the land of Israel. And he knows the Chaldeans are about to come. And he's remembering back how God had worked for his people in the past. When other nations that were bigger, that were more stronger than the Israelites... God had raised up judges. He had raised up other people to defend the nation of Israel. And as he's thinking back how God used to work, he's reminding himself about who God is and how God loves his people and how God is for his people. The point is that after judging Israel for their sin, that that these famous foreign oppressors were crushed by Jehovah. And he's reminding himself that the same will come to the Chaldeans. These people will be oppressed. Habakkuk has, had learned by revelation that the Chaldeans were about to come in. But they too would be crushed 
because just like the Midianites and just like the people of Cushan. In the ancient days, God also turned the Nile River into blood and parted the Jordan River. In verse 8, was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thy horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes. Even thy word, Selah, thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. He's talking about all these things, how he separated the, the Red Sea, how he separated Jordan River, how he cleaved the earth when, when people were, were turning against God. He opened the earth, or it could refer to when he opened the earth and he fed them with water. In verse number 10, it says, The mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. And you think of that, the hands on high, thinking about the Red Sea parted in two. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation at the the light of thine arrows they went and at the shining of thy glittering spear. See, he's reading through the Old Testament. He's reading through all these events that had happened. Remember when Joshua, they was going after the people and the sun stood still. Thou didst march to the land in indignation, verse 12. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for the salvation with thine anointed. And thou woundest a head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. In verse 14, thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. See, God, Habakkuk is reminding himself. God, I remember. I've read this before. This event's happened before. These people coming into your, into your, into your place. Destroying your people. Bringing problems. It's because of the sin of the people. And you raised up the Midianites. You raised up the Cushanites. You raised up the Egyptians to bring problems to the Israelites. God, you've done this before. But every time in the past, you raised up somebody else to stand in the way. And to bring salvation to your people. God, I know who you are. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to live by my faith. God, I remember that you're a merciful God. God, I remember that you're a powerful God. And that this is no, not too hard for you. Yes, I don't understand God. I don't understand why they're coming. I don't understand why you're going to use them. And God, I'm scared. But I know who you are. And I'm going to trust you. And I know that you're powerful to deliver your people. Then Habakkuk concludes by, by listing in rapid succession all that God done. And, and as we saw that last part. And then as he, he prayed for mercy and he reminds us of what God has done. He finally turn, he lives by faith by rejoicing in what God does. Look at verse number 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Even if the Chaldeans destroy Israel. He's going to rejoice. Even if there's no food left, he's going to rejoice. Verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be on the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. God, even if there's no food, even if all of our crops are destroyed, even if gas rises up to $7 a gallon, even if a, a gallon of milk raises up to $7 a, a gallon. God, I'm going to rejoice. Because I'm going to trust in you. Notice what he says. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. 
I will joy in the God of my salvation. See, that's the difference, friends. When we look at circumstances, and our joy comes from circumstances of whether things are going well, whether things are going good in our eyes. And that's where we get our joy from. That's up and down. But when we rejoice in the God of our salvation, that changes everything. And that's what Habakkuk said. He says, God is his salvation. Time and time again, God has shown he's more than capable of delivering Israel from her enemies. He is the Savior. Habakkuk knew that he could trust God to rescue him. He also knew that God was his strength. In verse 19, he says, The Lord God, Jehovah God, is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer of my, on my stringed instruments. Like an animal. Have you ever seen those goats walking on the side of a mountain? And, and like the mountain is completely steep and there's no way. But you see these goats just walking across and prancing across it. And how in the world is that even possible? That shouldn't be. And that's what Habakkuk's saying. God, even though I'm going to be like those goats... That are up on the side of the mountain. Even though it's impossible. Even though it shouldn't be happening. You are my strength. You are the one that's going to keep me up there. You're the one that's going to keep me from falling. You're the one that's going to keep me from slipping. God, I'm relying on you. You are my strength. God, I trust you. And Habakkuk knowing that God is his savior and his strength. This allowed him to rejoice. Even though he knew what was coming. Even though he knew what was coming. Habakkuk wanted God to do something about the sin around him. But when God told him what he was going to do, Habakkuk didn't like it. But God reminded Habakkuk that he needed to trust in him and to live by faith. And Habakkuk responded by faith, asking God for mercy, reminding himself of what God has done in the past and rejoicing in, in who God is. This is an applicable book, to, applicable book to us today. Many of us are overwhelmed by the wickedness that we see around us. God, why don't they repent? And turn to Christ. Why do they think it's okay to, to, to live in sin? Why do they think it's okay to kill an innocent baby? God, why don't you do something about it? Or rather we ask, why don't you do what I think you should do about it? However, we may not be happy with the way God responds. He might allow even greater atrocities to arise. But are we willing to respond like Habakkuk? To respond by faith. Asking God for mercy. Rejoicing no matter what happens, knowing that God is our Savior and strength. No matter what is happening in your life, you know you can rejoice. Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He also says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice evermore. If God is your Savior, if you trust in His strength instead of your own, you can have joy. Even when life falls apart. Even when you don't have food, you can rejoice in the Lord. As Habakkuk said, the just shall live by his faith. Are we living by faith? As we see the wickedness all around us, are we rejoicing in the Lord simply because he is our Savior? Because of the salvation he gives? The Bible tells us that before we observe the Lord's Supper, that we should spend some time getting our hearts right. Are you trusting God this evening? Do you know him as your personal Savior? Have you trusted him to rescue you from your sins? If you are saved, are you rejoicing in the Lord? Or are you constantly complaining about what you're seeing around you? Are you complaining about the struggles that you're going through? Are you simply rejoicing in the Lord? Are you rejoicing in him simply because he's your savior? Are you trusting God? Even when life is falling apart, 
You can look to the cross. You can look to what Jesus Christ did for you. And you can find joy.